On episode 235, I'm interviewing Morgan Molnar, Senior Manager of Product Marketing at SurveyMonkey Audience. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by G3 Translate. The G3 Translate team offers unparalleled expertise in foreign language translations for market researchers and insight professionals across the globe. Not only do they speak hundreds of languages, they are fluent in probably the most difficult one, market research. For more information, please visit them at g3translate.com. We are at Happy Market Research today. Thanks very much for joining us. I am live at SurveyMonkey. Morgan, thank you very much for hosting me. Thank you. Thank you for coming and thank you for having me on the, on the show. Morgan Molnar, I believe I got the name yes. right, uh, responsible for leading marketing for SurveyMonkey audience. Yes. Yeah. SurveyMonkey is established in 1999. They are a global leading survey and consumer platform, a sampling platform, excuse me, for marketing research based in San Mateo, California, with over 17 million active users, yes. which I, I mean, that puts you in first place, I think, from an active user <laughs> perspective in the space. I, I would assume so. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't fact checked that, but yeah, it's a lot of users. No, I mean, it's, it's absolutely, it's a massive, a massive amount of users. So uh, prior to joining SurveyMonkey, you maintained leadership roles at both Nielsen and Procter & Gamble in marketing. Yeah. So it was at Nielsen. Or uh, Nielsen, fo- sorry. Yeah, it was at Nielsen focusing with my main client being Procter & Gamble. So Got it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Okay, good. So you can fact them. check that. Yeah. Then. <laughs> Before we kind of dive in talking about SurveyMonkey, I'd really like to set some context for the audience. Maybe sure. you could tell us, Morgan, a little bit about your background, your parents, what they did, and how that's informed what you're doing today. Sure. Uh, so I was, I was born in Maryland, grew up in Avon, Connecticut, outside of Hartford. My parents, it's so fun to talk about because it, it was not the typical upbringing. My mother was the breadwinner. She uh, had, was a career-long businesswoman in sales and marketing, so Apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so she um, led sales and marketing for various companies, uh, mostly in marketing services and technology, So and even had a a CEO post for over five years. So, wow. yeah, so she was definitely an inspiration from a career standpoint. And then my father was pharmaceutical sales by day, but actor by night. Oh, so, wow. yeah, for a lot of my childhood, where my mom was focusing on her career, he was a stay at home dad and, you know, pursuing his passion for acting, which was really fun. Too. Yeah, it sounds like a hand in glove. Uh, for your parents. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I did a lot of acting with my father as a, as a child too. So have a little bit of an actor performing <laughs> oh. in me as well, which is probably why I love the conference circuit yeah. and totally. going on shows like this. So. Are you, um, have you done much like improv or is it just theater? Oh my gosh, or? no. Uh, but I, I would love to. And, and it's funny you say that. I was actually at a, a barbecue for Labor Day just a couple weekends ago and was asking friends about improv because there was someone there who was doing it and I was like I gotta get into that yeah so for me (laughs) but no just just more acting here and there mostly when I was younger I did a little in grad school uh so I didn't I mean when I was thinking about what I wanted to do when I grew up I didn't really think about marketing or business I was actually um, much more interested in science and so I actually applied to colleges as a physics major and very quickly decided that wasn't for me. But, you know, at the time I was thinking I would be a professor or just, you know, really fascinated with the way that the world around us works. And I think that's what drew me to market research. 
it's a little bit more of a, I guess it's a, a less technical application of, of science, like physics, but it's still that, um, you know, how do you figure out the psychology of consumers? How do you think, you know, figure out the way that people think or feel or react or, or behave? And then marketing is that then that extension of how do you actually make decisions off of that knowledge? And, you know, coming from a, you know, more of a quant background, right? Mm -hmm. Marketing measured has better ROI um, just because you're continually improving both the velocity and the subsequent return. The problem, though, the tension, I think, that exists there is, you know, we start losing the traction um, or the justification for the creative part of marketing, right? So you've got, sure. yeah, you've got that. How do you guys manage, how do you guys manage that kind of, okay, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm measuring this, I get it, you know, the, my cost per acquisition mm -hmm. is X, yada, 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 but then, you know, kind of like going all in on big bets relative to ad ca creative campaigns. Yeah. And so my function technically is product marketing, but I work really closely with our growth marketing partners. Mm -hmm. And part of it is around goaling and part of it is around really setting aside budget and resources for those big creative campaigns. So for example, you mentioned we were founded in 1999. Mm -hmm. We are this month celebrating our 20th anniversary. Yeah, congratulations. So, thank you. <laughs> um, I have not been at Survey Monkey for 20 years. No, but, but still, that's yeah, a big about deal. About a quarter of that. Yeah. So uh, what we are doing is a big splash campaign around that, which isn't really to drive any specific business goal, but more awareness, awareness. And, and getting people involved in the brand. Yeah. And so you, you set aside, you know, for, for things like that. And, and where I focus my time on audience, which is our, our market research panel, when we think about marketing, we definitely segment, okay, this is, this is a bucket of money that's meant for awareness. And, and the goaling there is more around impressions yeah. in, in, in the right target. And right. then if we have more direct response marketing, then you're looking at conversions and click-throughs and all of that. When you, when you think about you know, the, the relative spend, and like you said, you have a growth team, which is this, it, it's been interesting. Like Airbnb is a good example of a company that, you know, they started lean and then um, started getting traction. And I don't even know how many, it's got to be well over 100 people now, I think, in their, in their growth team, right? So, and I'm just, I'm really curious about this. Does the, yeah. does the growth team sit as like this group of ninjas that just kind of like <laughs> analyzes every aspect of the business? Or, or are they more compartmentalized relative to the business lines? A little bit of both. So we have two growth teams at SurveyMonkey. There's a product growth team and a marketing growth team, and they work very closely together. Mm -hmm. But even the marketing side, we've got folks who are focusing more on engagement versus mm -hmm. then working on digital advertising and acquisition. Yeah. And so even with that distinction, you've got people working on different parts of the of the customer journey and funnel. Yeah. And then you know once marketing kind of hands it off to product, then you know we were working really closely with those those partners. As well, um, I'd say we run lean as well, but uh, there is definitely a big focus on growth here at SurveyMonkey. You know, when you think about the other part of it that's interesting is this attention that companies are now paying towards different social good, um, and even beyond that, even more uh, sometimes polarizing subjects. Right? I mean, mm. Nike being one of the quintessential brands, but then I mean, SurveyMonkey, of course, changing your logo during uh, Gay Pride mm -hmm. or. I yeah. mean, that was 
We definitely have a big focus on on corporate social responsibility. We launched an entire division called Survey Monkey for Good, mm-hmm. which focuses on a lot of different initiatives, either local in the community or, or national. And and part of that is also our Survey Monkey Contribute program. So that's actually one of our main panel sources in the U- United States is Survey Monkey Contribute, and that's our unique proprietary panel source from the. 2 million folks taking surveys on SurveyMonkey every day. And uh, what we do is a, a pretty unique model where it's all charitable incentives. And so what's really great and I'm really proud of that program for is we've donated over $15 million to charitable organizations uh, in the U.S. since opening that. So, yeah, I think we, we definitely have a strong focus there. One of our uh, core business values and company values is prioritize health, but that's not just personal health. It's also community health. So we definitely focus there. So by community health, you mean at, at a global level or? Um, part of it is just, you know, how are we giving back to the communities oh, that we're I in? See. We have global offices. Yep, and yep. for example, coming, so community where you guys are located. Where we're located. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, even uh, coming up uh, in early October, we're doing a week of service where um, there's opportunities in all of the communities around all of our global, global offices to participate in, in some you know, charitable work or um, volunteering activity. Yeah, the tension has always been like this. What's it, so uh, you you have, you know, maximum shareholder for value or uh, max, maximize shareholder value is the, kind of the been historically the mantra of especially publicly traded companies. But I mean, all I think mm-hmm. most companies, this altruistic perspective lends a, like it's almost this unmeasurable ROI, right? And that's kind of getting to the point of mm-hmm. you have these investment dollars that are being made at the corporate level now that are funding things that aren't necessarily attributable to a revenue line, right? But um, sure. they're doing other things. Maybe it's uh, retention of staff or... Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, part of it is, you know, getting SurveyMonkey out there in the community. Mm-hmm. It's giving back to organizations by offering, you know, usage of our platform. It's yeah. getting our employees engaged in the community. Yeah. And I, I think that there's a lot of benefits that are maybe not monetary. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm just curious. So when growing up, you know, your father mm-hmm. was the primary caregiver, it sounds like. Did you guys do things like rescue mission or anything like that service related or was that part of the Um, or did that develop later in life? It developed later for for me. We were active in the community from a theater standpoint. So (laughs) So that's kind of giving back. Giving art to the community. Yes. (laughs) I would argue that could be. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it was a little bit a little bit later in life, but definitely heavily involved with SurveyMonkey and outside in other organizations in the area, too. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's kind of like following our normal roadmap, which I, it's allowed me to get to know guests in a different way. It's kind of like I call it the over a beer kind of a way, <laughs> even though that's not that's not part of the over a coffee. It's a little too beer. early this yeah. morning for that. <laughs> Tell me about one of the biggest challenges and how you overcame that. Yeah, uh, for for me, what comes to mind is. Well, actually, right before I started my role here at SurveyMonkey, uh, I was living in New York, working at Nielsen. I was doing the New York to Connecticut headquarters commute, which was fine at the time. But uh, my husband wasn't, or gosh, he was my boyfriend at the time, <laughs> wasn't thrilled with his job, was looking around, and got an amazing opportunity here in the Bay Area. So born and raised East Coast, never had 
been to it's California. It's a big cultural shift. <laughs> yeah. And so that was a crazy couple of months in early 2014. He got the, or no, we got engaged in January. He got the job in February. We moved out to California in March. And that's, that was 14. That, yeah, 2014. Got so, it. and Nielsen was great. They let me work from home. It was a very flexible role. My client was in Cincinnati, so I was already remote for them. So that was great. But, you know, I, I moved across the country where I had really little support network, yeah. didn't really know anyone, was in a job that I was working from home. So I wasn't going into an office, meeting coworkers. And I just realized it, it wasn't a, for me. I wasn't in a, a great place. I was like, I need to get out there more. Mm-hmm. And actually what pulled me out of it. Because you were working from home too. So it's like this whole right, isolation. It's completely new place. Didn't know anyone and was kind of stuck in a apartment all day. Yeah. Which, I mean, there are worse things, right? I was in sunny oh, totally. California. Yeah, and- yeah, yeah. <laughs> but still. it's. But yeah, for me, um, you know, spending, you know, my eight hour work day, without anyone it was it was challenging so what actually pulled me out of it was finding survey monkeys so i was part of our contribute panel actually are you kidding <laughs> and i i got a survey invitation email and saw the palo alto address in the footer and was like yeah, i should check those guys out and the rest is kind of history but for me i realized i need an office i need a you know fast-paced environment i need coworkers to stimulate me throughout the day and I definitely found that here. Yeah, I'm the same way. I, I uh, The darkest point, I've had a couple of things in my life that it, it didn't go great, right? But mm-hmm. um, the darkest point for me was af- after I uh, exited Focus Vision because I had a team of people, right? Mm-hmm. And I was around all this kind of enthusiasm and driving and taking the hill. And like, I think it's challenges and it's difficult, but um, same, you know, there's people. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like in my little home office for days on end, I'm like, I just started losing the will to live, not in a literal <laughs> sense, but yeah, it was just really I underst- tired. I it was understand like, that. Like my hu- my husband would come home and be like, you know, tired yeah. from a day of work, wanting to put his feet up on the couch, and I'm like, I want to go out. Go, I want to go. go. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and I just realized. I mean, it was bad. I would go days without showering. Yeah, like it's okay. The whole getting a little TMI, but, a little you know, bit. but you know, like totally. Yeah. I had this robe. My wife threatened. I won't let her do it, but she's threatened to burn it. So I would do that where I would just like put my robe on and then I would I go would, to bed at night and take it off and I'd put it back on the next day. I would do the, the same thing, but it like... was my, my blanket cape. <laughs> and so it'd be my blanket cape. And I, yeah, but and this was before virtual conferencing was really Yeah, so you could pull so it, it off. So it was mostly phone calls yeah. and maybe sharing your screen, but it wasn't like people were seeing my messy bun and my... Have you seen yeah. the Dilbert cartoon where it's like the evolution of working at home? So uh, for video conference, oh, it's classic. There's three frames. It's basically him in a suit and tie and then him in a suit and tie without pants. And then (laughs) it like degrades. So ultimately it's a puppet of him. Yeah, on the other gosh. side. That's like, what are, what are the kids saying to, to, uh, to me in real life for me in real life? Or yeah, like there's totally. The, it's like, yep. oh, that hits too close to home. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so yeah. you're, you broke out by getting a job. Did you try meetups? Uh, I did a little bit of that. It, 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 I didn't find my people, though. Mm. So I think it was, yeah, I just needed that. Have you have you looked into uh, marketing research or user experience type meetups locally? I'm just curious. You know, I haven't. I've been doing more uh, women in leadership or women uh, in tech mm-hmm. type things than I have been more on the functional side. But yeah, I mean, the women in it's, uh, there was a thread I responded to on LinkedIn recently 
and um, it was a concern that a leader has, I won't say who it is, but inside of, but it's public, right? Uh, inside of our, the market research industry on, you know, he needs to staff salespeople and he's frustrated with the lack of female talent that has been mm-hmm. coming in. And um, there was some really, you know, that's where I think you really have to be, we have to be as organizations intentional with how we manage our pipeline. And we can't just look about, oh, I've got a need right now. You've got to start those net, that networking farther right more upstream yeah um if you're going to be able to staff and su- help support whether it's gender or some other type of e- inequality sure and, and i have gone to a couple of the wire women in research yeah. events too and i think that's a great organization mm-hmm. um especially for finding w- women talent yeah in this space yeah for sure yeah. Kristen Luck did a great mm-hmm. now michelle on andre is helping support support that but that's that's i think the premier women it's the right? only the, one i know about yeah. so in They're the market research space. Yes. Yeah. 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 But they are quite literally everywhere. Gosh. Yeah. And that's like 10 years old or more now. It's amazing. So yeah. you've done a lot of research, been involved in research <laughs> anyway, right? Yes. Analytics, research. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah, for sure. So what is the project that you're most proud of? Yeah. So the research that I did at Nielsen was really fascinating started my career in marketing mix modeling. So that was, it's almost like the precursor to attribution modeling in a way and and really great for especially big brands who are doing more traditional advertising like TV, print, radio, email, coupons, et cetera. And that is identifying the optimal sort of channel spend? It, It is. So it's identifying the independent contributions or impact of all of your media to sales volume. And then there are therefore calculating a marketing ROI on on all of your campaigns. So you would have a total brand ROI for, for I, you know, I worked at, uh, I was working for Procter & Gamble. So yeah. Tide or Crest sure. or Pampers, Very et cetera. <laughs> right. Yeah, so, consumer but, but you would then go down to the campaign level and say, okay, this specific commercial that ran during this time had an ROI of X. And so that was really great work. It it established the foundation that I would need to go on to more research, to work with CPG firms, to then be a marketer myself. But the research that I did in my last couple years there was developing predictive modeling techniques. I'm going to get a little technical (laughs) too. Uh, Predictive modeling techniques. This is a very technical audience. uh, To assess macro and micro drivers of ROI across all of PNG's brands and markets. So it was essentially taking the output of all of their marketing mix modeling, combining that with other data sources around things like, you know, how long had the brand been around, uh, what country were they in, how fragmented was the category, all of that. So the macro level things with then the micro level things. So things that the brand had a little bit more control of and things that we could measure. So like their copy scores or, you know, their their spend levels and all of that. And so what essentially came out of that was a mindset shift where if you're doing marketing on a brand like Tide in the United States, you have a different expectation on the return on that investment than you would a small beauty brand in France. Got it. Or fragrance brand in France. So they're just, they're up against different market factors. And so doing a lot of that work was able to help set help expectations in- so you're not anchored to this false exactly and with i mean working with the data that we had at nielsen and the brands in you know just totally 
<laughs> spread that they had at yeah. B&G, we were able to do that kind of research, which was really cool. It was a finalist in their CMK Insights awards wow. back in, in the day. But um, yeah, that, I mean, that w- I'm definitely proud of that because it was new, it was innovative. Uh, I'm a little bit more removed from the client research here at SurveyMonkey, although, as I mentioned before, super proud of the work that we do, especially with our contribute panel and giving back and all of that. And then, you know, now in my role in in product marketing, I get to do my own research for SurveyMonkey brands and products. So, you know, I just finished up a a name test for a new line of products that we're going to be rolling out. No hint. (laughs) Um, Well, uh, we are uh, moving into the realm of more automated research for specific market research use cases. Got it. Oh, fun. So it's been a really fun journey there. It's an interesting space. It is. Yeah, for sure. Do you think there's like, you know, there's been this, I call it the three-legged stool. So you got like brands and you got agencies and then you got technologies inside of market research. And the technologies have really been kind of feeding both agencies and brands mm-hmm. directly, which is by, you know, definitionally has been kind of like competing with agencies to some degree because of the fact that you can, an agency all of a sudden can do certain types of projects as opposed yeah. to spend right. $50,000 with an sure. agency to do that same sort of we, thing. We find that to be true. When we did, we were doing some research earlier this year and we find a lot more insights are being brought in-house right. at brands. And so, and yeah. I've seen that. I've seen that with both, like, there's, uh, I'm not suggesting where we are on the econo- global art, uh, economic cycle, <laughs> right? I'm not that smart. But, like, you know, historically what I've seen back in 89 and 90 and then 2000 were because brands had so much money, they were bringing that function in-house. Mm. And then, you know, once there was a major correction, then they moved to a different framework where it's better off kind of like getting the expense structure off the P&L and then moving more towards, you know, the ad hoc, even though it's mm-hmm. more expensive, you know, they weren't penalized as much. So it's going to be interesting as this whole, like coming into another election cycle, yeah. there's just a million different things that are taking place right now for us. And it's nice, I think, as a technologist to be able to sit there. And as long as you are providing value for, you know, everybody, then you're poised to win. I like to think so. I mean, and we're definitely in a good spot right now, especially with the trend of more insights moving in-house, the need for expertise that yep. becomes much more real. Mm-hmm. And if you're not getting that from an expensive agency, then how are we as technology providers yep. embedding more of that methodology and expertise into the products? Do you think there's like a room for services or you to come along other services related organizations to help? Certainly. And actually, I, having lived through a couple business model changes here at SurveyMonkey, it's definitely a need. So we had a big sales and services team at one point. We then tried to focus much more on the self-serve and DIY model for market research, which has been great. What we're realizing is, especially when we want to break into larger enterprises and we're not just working with the scrappier mid-market marketing or insights teams, the folks who are used to working with services vendors or full service research firms need a little bit of extra help to get their DIY or their self-service ad hoc research going. And so we've actually launched, so SurveyMonkey Audience being our market research panel, we've launched SurveyMonkey Audience Premium, which bundles in a little bit of extra premium support and services. So you've got product experts, research experts that can help onboard you and get you going when you are trying to make that transition from 
doing everything outside with vendors and, and services to more in-house. Yeah, I mean, so really what I'm trying to say is, you know, surveys in general, but not just surveys, uh, mm-hmm. research is becoming more and more democratized and used throughout organizations. Yes. And, you know, is the use case, because not everybody is a researcher, so just because you have a scalpel doesn't make you a surgeon, <laughs> yeah. right? In fact, there's a, there's a couple of companies that are, you know, I was just at a, as I mentioned, as we're setting up this morning, uh, I was at Google, their San Francisco campus, mm-hmm. moderating a panel, and I had some of the panelists, head of insights for research now, or sorry, for um, uh, ServiceNow, and also uh, LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And, you know, both of them, uh, during our conversation, were talking about how there's a problem with you know everybody doing research because you wind up with conflicting or best case scenario is redundant but worst case scenario is conflicting kind right. of insights now what's interesting about automation is by creating a tool that asks a question in the right way and connecting it to an audience that is vetted you actually can start solving a lot of the problems that are innate with just kind of the ad hoc oh i'm going to go do a copy test right Sure. I, I think that's that's true. It starts to normalize or, or centralize the methodology because everyone's using consistent questions and, and things like that. And also, if you go beyond just piecemeal use cases into more of a platform, right. then you're starting to bring research together. And, and one thing that we're trying to do more and more is enable teams and larger departments and organizations to work together and collaborate. And so what you'll see more and more from SurveyMonkey are features that make even your individual account with your surveys, et cetera, not so siloed, but you know, have those insights shareable across the organization. And I do pay for my professional <laughs> license, by the way. We thank you for <laughs> your being a customer. <laughs> but there was something else that you mentioned that I thought was interesting, which was just that trend of teams outside of insights doing more and more research. And I find that to be another big trend that we're seeing. And actually, for SurveyMonkey audience especially, Insights professionals only make up about 10 to 15% of our customers. Mm. It's people in marketing, UX, product, strategy, startup founders, et cetera, right. who are using our product. So what's where I see insights being needed more and more is that center of excellence where you're enabling other departments in your organization to do the kind of research that maybe you're too strapped to handle for everyone. Especially I think about, I'm doing a, a session with Julia Levine, who runs Insights at Cuisinart. She's got a two-person Insights team yeah. and is, you know, supporting their entire line of business. And so when you think about, you know, something like a creative test or a message test or something that really a marketer should be able to handle, then the Insights team can be that center of excellence, get them off and running, train them a little bit, and then other departments can can go off and do that. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely think that you know the it's the right point, right? So it's the, it's the it's the right question. How can we enable access to consumer insights across the organization? You know, one of the things that talking about going back to your the project you're most proud of, mm-hmm. you know, just consolidating the data and getting it formatted in such a way where it can be combined, yeah. right? That's not a trivial no, right? That's like a big part. What percentage of the work was that? Oh well, gosh, I mean. Across marketing, mixed modeling, and this work, you think about, say, an eight or nine month project timeline. Right. 
almost six months of that is data collection and cleansing. Right, exactly. And so th that's huge. And, and, and that brings up another initiative that I've been seeing and hearing a lot more is creating what folks are calling data lakes, but yeah. essentially bringing all of their data sources together in-house, accessible to people who need to pull whatever combination <laughs> or filter of data that they right. need. Right, yeah. Data accessibility and visibility across the corporation yes. is absolutely vital. Um, otherwise, you just run so many. I was I worked on a small task force for the previous CMO Visa, and you know that was the the whole like data best practices around data handling at a global mm -hmm. level. It's really really hard because you know you, while you have the sages, which I call the market researchers, <laughs> right. you got the mass populace, which needs the insight in like mm -hmm. a week because they got to make it or a day because they need to make a decision. Right. And that's, I mean, you, you run that same risk of confounding or conflicting, uh, conflicting mm -hmm. uh, you know, yeah. stories coming out of that data if people are interpreting it the wrong way. Right. Or ask the wrong question. <laughs> right. With right. Their, yeah. It's just terrifying. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But, you know, I think, you know, that's part of what is fun about working at a technology company is these are the kinds of problems that we get to think about and, yeah. and try to well, solve. Well, especially in market research. I mean, this is like... Yes. There's not, I keep going back to Estrella Lopez Brea. She was a, one of my favorite guests on the Happy Market Research. She's the uh, head of insights for a joint partnership with Nestle and General Mills. It's a serial partnership, 100, mm -hmm. still 136 countries. Anyway, it's a really wow. big, it's a big yeah. deal. Anyway, so, you know, she says it's the most exciting time for market research. And she's been in the industry as long as I have. Like, it's been, we've had some great times. Like, it is trending right now mm -hmm. in a very exciting way. And you guys are sitting in the right spot. So it's yeah. kind of fun. Yeah, thank you. So I want to talk a little <laughs> bit about SurveyMonkey audience. Sure. I am yeah. unaware of, of what that is. What it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, so SurveyMonkey audience is SurveyMonkey's market research solution. So mm -hmm. it is our So is, is it a combined, is it a, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was jumping ahead. I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> it, it's good. You're excited. I love that. So it's essentially our global panel for yep. market research products. So it's embedded right into the SurveyMonkey platform. So no matter your plan type, you can access and tap into global yep. survey takers. Got it. And, and yeah. I mean, and how many countries are you guys in? Over 100. And really, so I mentioned Contribute a few times. We have our own proprietary panels in SurveyMonkey Contribute and our relatively new. We launched last year mobile app SurveyMonkey Rewards. And so those are our two sources that we cultivate and grow and manage. And then we also integrate with a lot of the the panel companies out there and, yeah. and panel marketplaces out there. And mm -hmm. so it's one cohesive user experience within the SurveyMonkey platform it, just to, to reach whoever and target whoever you need. So you've built functionally a router that enables you access to your own proprietary sample, but then in addition to that, whether it's connected to existing, mm -hmm. you know, like a center lucid or what have you, and then, right, versus yes. the yeah. other, like even Dynata major players mm -hmm. out there. Is yes. that right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, got it. How, I, I mean, building that is really hard. Yes, it is. I mean, it, we started in 2011. Okay, got so it. So it's been, been like a, yeah, and... I mean, even now we've been over the last couple years really focused on that routing infrastructure, yeah. which you know you don't really as a as a user, all you're doing is selecting all of your criteria. You know, and you're looking too. right. But, I've actually but, used it. Oh, by great. the way, yeah. So you get a hundred free people. So yeah. yeah. So so as a SurveyMonkey user, the the free plan allows you to collect uh, up to a hundred responses. Well, I, I think on the then, oh yeah, you're right. But then the panel right is extra yeah. but um gosh i want to say maybe it was a 
short-term thing, but I know oh, I, I, yeah. So <laughs> I, uh, it was, was on the paid plan mm -hmm. and I got, I think it was a hundred. I might be misremembering, oh, potentially. but I got, a, I got a certain number of people free from the panel. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. So that we were doing some credits giveaways. That's what so, it was. So credit yeah, giveaway. credits. Yeah. Or it's essentially a, a wallet or yeah, yeah. a gift card scenario where you can load it up and yep. use it to purchase. Totally. Samples, so, yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. So what was impressive is the integration. Well, there's two things. One was the speed. So it was mm -hmm. really fast. Um, the second thing, it was really, really easy. I think there's a big opportunity. And I'm wondering how you guys are addressing this, especially with your mixed modal recruiting approach. Like we're still asking gender and screening questions. Right, we haven't like standardized the whole meta framework from a respondent profile perspective. Yeah. So that if I only want to talk to females, unless I can go in and like separate them out pre-screen by mm -hmm. in the database, you know, going out to all the different panels, a lot of cases we're still asking that information from respondents. Yeah. Well, so the way that at least it works with our panel and the partners that we have, there are man, over 100 maybe pre-profiled attributes. And so when folks are joining a panel, they're being asked a series of profiling surveys. Yep. And then we do then allow that option to have your own custom screening questions. Got or, it. I mean, if especially we sometimes still recommend this for lower incidence groups, but, yep. you know, to double check the profiling with your screening questions, especially for things that might change for a person yep. pretty frequently. So... Yeah, I mean, there's definitely the, the two options there, but it's, it's different than other sources out there like, you know, mobile apps or publisher networks where maybe you're, you know, blind you have, yeah. either blind to that or are inferring it yeah. in some way. Okay, um, that's true. At, the, at least with, with this type of methodology, it's very explicit and you know exactly yeah. who you're talking to. Are, do you think we'll get to the spot where you can pipe in those hundred variables into the self-reported data? So, I mean, we do uh, in the back end or with your results give five metrics, especially as we partner with more data providers and more panel companies, we'll probably get to a point where you're getting much richer profiling information coming with your results, which would be you know, awesome. Great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, what I, what I really like that Google launched is this whole concept of a micro survey where it's one to two questions, but you get a million people to take it and you have a full profile. Mm -hmm. Right. The problem with that is it's a million people with, a, you know, that many data points. So I think the, the better scenario is just building an ongoing record at the respondent level so that you're able to understand who that person is and then pipe that data back as it makes sense. Right. in the context of the projects. Right. And then making sure that it's regularly refreshed. Exactly. Especially for those kinds of things. I mean, it's unlikely that your gender will change too drastically. Right. Uh, very frequently. But like but, marital but status, etc. Sure. But right. And, but all and that can be systematized so sure. that, you know, to your point, they may not have to get asked that every single yeah. time. Which is how it works currently with SurveyMonkey. Got Depending it. on the attribute, it's refreshed anywhere from every three to three, three months to years so so you guys are publicly traded we are yeah it's, last september so we're going on a year yeah that's i was just to say it's kind of <laughs> it's, it's coming up yeah mm -hmm. you know nielsen of course publicly traded so you've had experience in both 
from the agency side yes. and on the, well, and the technology side now, I guess, right? So I say that because I'm gonna ask a question about the crystal ball. No, so gosh. all the disclaimers, like this is not on behalf of SurveyMonkey, this is just like your <laughs> point of view, right? Okay. So okay. what is the role of insights inside of the organization and how is that going to evolve over the next three to five years? Yeah, we've talked about some of the trends that we've been seeing, things like insights getting brought in house that to me signals you're not just a team that requires business acumen, the ability to tell stories, like mender, uh, manage vendors, but also a lot more of that analytics chops is being brought in house. I think the role of insights, especially as more companies are converging on technology, I mean, you see this even with the, the larger full service players uh, with their acquisitions and how they're restructuring. The role of insights will be a little bit more centered around building out that market research technology stack within the company. Right. And so part of it is doing the research, enabling others to do the research, but also being that tech forward, tech minded person to, to bring all of the sources together and build the technology in, in, in the company that will basically be housing all of your data and research. So Nielsen had this for years, right? Where it was your sort of your brand performance, the CMOs subscribed to it and you would, mm. see, you know, you'd get it on Monday morning. I I'd never actually had seen the tool by the way, but yeah. uh, on my last board of directors, I had uh, my chairman, Dennis Malamatinas, previous CEO of Burger King Global. And before that he was a CMO. At, and so, so, you know, he said, Every Monday morning, I would walk in. The first thing I would do is check out my Nielsen scores, mm -hmm. right, to see how we had performed. Do you think that, you know, in role of insights moves more up chain? So, Sure. I mean, uh, especially at SurveyMonkey, our, our CMO is very involved yeah. in our brand studies and, and things like that. And, and even if it's the insights team carrying them out, that the way of getting those results out into the, the rest of the organization, how you share those results, how you present them, I think is much wider than it used to be. So maybe you would do a PowerPoint presentation to a few key stakeholders. Now it's public on Tableau, right. where, where executives are going mm -hmm. in and checking it. So I, I think that's very much the case and, and we're seeing that too. This is where I think podcasting has a really big opportunity because you can create a like a five or 30 minute podcast that's distributed, maybe it's monthly, hypothetically, mm -hmm. and then you know produced and managed by the in internal insights division of an organization, like pick on LinkedIn, for example. <laughs> sure. And then all of a sudden, the not just the C-level executives, but the whole organization could get access to hear about you know what they're seeing in consumer trends and mm -hmm. and you know the, so i had is this organization called watermark they're a small consultancy have you heard of them uh no very it would surprise me if you had so they do an analytics on the s p 500 okay. okay over performers and underperformers. this point by the way aligns with gartner and forrester reports that have similar outcomes uh, and that is that companies that are customer experience centric they outperform by 45 points over a 10-year period, and companies mm -hmm. that aren't, and this is a really remarkable part, are underperforming by 75 points. Wow. Yeah. So now all of a sudden, the question becomes, you know, are we customer-centric? Uh, in other words, are we using customer insight to drive decisions? And the answer is no, that's a big problem. But it isn't just necessarily binary, right? So I think, you know, again, looking forward and where you guys are sitting is really interesting for me mm -hmm. because you know, the 
frequency and quality of the insights becomes a KPI or key performance indicator for the organization. Mm -hmm. So in other words, if they're, if they're not using insights or using it less frequently, then that should be a warning at least so that people are starting to ask why. You know, so all of a yeah. sudden, like the meta becomes a little bit different from my kind of ad hoc or brand tracker to overall frequency and type of research that's being done mm -hmm. in the organization, just to make sure that it's part of the DNA and we're not like losing traction on leveraging consumers. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I see that a lot too, especially if folks are looking at their sales data on a weekly basis. Why are they not looking at? their their brand metrics on totally. a basis. And so that move to always on is also really important. And, it, and it's interesting you bring up customer experience because I'd say two of the largest pillars at SurveyMonkey, one being market research, the other being customer experience. And I mean, you see our focus in that given the two recent acquisitions that we just yep. had. We find the same thing. I mean, companies need to be tapping into that customer voice continuously. Uh, and so it's not, and so all of the solutions that we're offering have a frequency element built into them. Oh, that's smart. Yeah, I love that. That's that's something I think we're going to see companies talk like like Survey Monkey talk a lot more about. You know, just the frequency by which you know when I think about like the newsworthiness of this article that I haven't seen written yet, but you'd be great if you write it. Um, <laughs> you know, of like uh, looking at because you guys have so, you know you have fingers in every organization. So, you know, the frequency by which top performers are actually leveraging insights or conducting projects or whatever that, I don't know what the exact thing is, but, you know, is it increasing or decreasing relative to the overall performance of the, of the organization? I think that, you know, that kind of thing would be really interesting if I'm a, one, an investor, but mm -hmm. two, if I'm, you know, at the C-level or board level inside of an organization, I care a lot about that stuff, or a shareholder. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes, that's a really great point. I love the I love the meta research on research. Oh, me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've been at two big organizations. What are three characteristics of an all-star employee? Oh, yeah. Well, so, I mean, first off, you can't knock just the true grit and benefit of hard, hard work, really. If you're putting in hard work, you will get, you know, performance out of that because a lot of things can be trained or taught, mm -hmm. um, but that drive is is something that is pretty innate or or comes with right you know and then outside of hard work really this is kind of similar but we talk a lot about growth mindset at SurveyMonkey in fact we uh, Carol Dweck come and speak recently and it, it's just something that, that I love the whole idea of taking every project or opportunity whether it's even an interaction with someone or something that you might deem as a failure, but seeing that as a learning opportunity and uh, how you can grow from that or how you can better yourself. So someone who works really hard and then, you know, sees everything as a learning opportunity, I think is really important, especially when you are more of an entry-level employee where you're needing to soak in right. everything about an industry or a function. When you get into marketing, I'd say what's interesting, especially is you need this balance, a left brain, right brain balance. So you need that creativity. You can't lose that spark of creativity and injecting new ideas and, and innovating and testing. But you also need to have an analytical mindset. So the, that measurement side of you. So that, that balance I always look for, especially when I'm hiring on the marketing side. 
So just so I understand the last point, it's like yeah. it's like qualitative and quantitative. Yeah, I, I guess you could you could call it that, especially <laughs> put it in research terms. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's the balance of creativity and analytics. Got and it. So you need to have both. I mean, obviously there are functions like design that would err more towards creativity or yeah. or growth that would err more towards analytics. But really having that balance, I think, makes a really great marketer. Yeah, for sure. Are there tools that you've seen companies use that help pre-screen employees? Uh, to that end, because you're right, like different job functions are going to require a different proportion of those skills. You know, I, I haven't, but if folks have, I would love to hear about them. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, we, I mean, we have a great recruiting team here at SurveyMonkey uh, that take a lot of that work off of hiring managers' plates. But huh. yeah, I'm curious. I, I'm not even sure what they're using. So Interesting. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure there's something out there. All right. Last question. You ready? <laughs> Sure. Yeah, let's go for it. <laughs> what is your personal motto? Oh, gosh. Uh, I would say my personal motto is all about sp- spreading positivity. Um, and you can do that in a, a lot of ways. There's, I don't even know who said this, but there is a quote out there about leaving the world a better place than you found it. Mm. But I love leaving interactions or situations mm-hmm. in a happier place than I found it. Mm-hmm. So that that positivity and and making sure that you're always um, bringing that to everything you do. I think that, I guess back to your first question around making a great employee, it's always someone that you want to work with, you mm-hmm. want to spend time with, you want to, you know, be in meetings all day with. And so if that person is a negative Nancy, it's not going to be fun. So <laughs> spread positivity, smile, laugh. We're all human at work. So that would be, that would be my motto. My guest today has been Morgan Molnar, leading marketing here at SurveyMonkey's audience, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. Morgan, thanks very much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Everybody else, if you please do me a kindness, if you found value in this, she's taken a lot of time out of her day in preparation. Obviously, uh, the amount of hours that go against this are pretty substantial. It'd be great if you took the time, screenshot, share it, tag us. We will retweet our repost on LinkedIn. Have a great rest of your day. This episode is sponsored by G3 Translate. The G3 Translate team offers unparalleled expertise in foreign language translations for market researchers and insight professionals across the globe. Not only do they speak hundreds of languages, they are fluent in probably the most difficult one, market research. For more information, please visit them at g3translate.com.